the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And me being here live today is just a reminder that vacation is officially over now. So um, I don't know how in tune I'm going to be with all of this. We've been away for a while, but it's great to be back. This is a program, as you know, that's dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. Anything and everything that's on your heart, you need only to provide the phone call. 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and as always if you're driving in your car the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen you'll be connected directly to our studio producer hey I appreciate Pastor Ken um, filling in for me for the last couple of weeks our vacation was great. I know Paula is going to speak about that uh, on the date day edition of the show tomorrow. This does not feel like Wednesday. This feels more like a Monday to me. So the date day edition will be tomorrow. Paula will be live in the studio with us. I know she wants to talk a little bit about vacation and anything else that's on her heart. Uh, but we're really, really glad to be back. Grateful that you tuned in and kept Pastor Ken busy with your questions. Let me get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Uh, The first one comes from Jimmy. He wants to know, is telling white lies okay? Jimmy, whenever we ask that question, we're asking a question we already know the answer to. The answer is no. Jesus said, the devil is the father of lies. And if he's the father of lies, that means all lies. What we would consider white lies aren't really white lies at all. They come from the prince of darkness. So it's not okay. Now, I, I understand what most people are, are intending when they ask this question. What about to spare somebody's feelings? Or what about something that isn't really important? I think we who are believers, Jimmy, we need to be in the practice of telling the truth. It needs to become a habit. Lying just so quickly and so easily flows from our lips. Uh, and we need to hate it when it does. We need to hate it when it does. Um, my flesh, I, I keep telling people this, but my flesh is just as ugly as it was 32 years ago when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Now, the difference between then and now is that if a lie comes to mind, and because my flesh is my flesh, lies come to mind. It's easier, sometimes certainly more convenient and more comfortable, sometimes to tell lies. But whenever that happens, my immediate response is, I can't lie. Christians can't lie, so no, white lies are not okay. Truth-telling is what really matters. Jimmy, Jesus said he is the way and the truth. He also said he was the life, but the 
context here is he is the truth. And if we're going to be with Jesus, then we have to tell the truth. Now, I think there are some things that we don't have to say. I don't think we have to say everything that's on our heart or on our mind. Uh, I think if somebody asks us a question, how do I look? Or or somebody says, look at my baby. My baby's beautiful. Um, you know, there there are other ways to address it if you think differently. Um, but, but you don't have to be unkind. But you certainly don't have to be um, resistant to telling the truth either. So uh, practice truth-telling and the Lord will be with you. The Holy Spirit will be empowered in you. Thank you, Jimmy, for the question. Here is a question from Donald. I like this question, by the way. He says, I want to know about the gift of giving. I would like to have it, but I don't have anything to give. Donald, I think you'd be surprised at what you've got to give. Um, You know, the gift of giving is a great gift. I always tell the church here that if God gives you the gift of giving, uh, it's either because he's going to give you something to give or he has already given you something to give and he wants you to utilize that gift. Proverbs chapter 11 says that a generous man himself will be blessed by God. I think that's verse 25, Donald. So the gift of giving is a good one. Now, what do you have to give? You get your time. You can certainly give um, your service to people. Uh, You can give to the Lord a sacrifice by putting others before yourself. There's lots of things that you can give. But if you want to ask God for the gift of giving, then let's just imagine it starts with where you are now. Are you giving now? I know some people say, well, I don't have anything to give. But we all have something coming in. Are you giving anything at all to the Lord's work? Um, if you are, then God will bless it. Now, that's not why we give, but but God will bless it. That's a spiritual principle of reaping and sowing. So, um, yeah, the gift of giving is really, really a good thing. Uh, But you have to be faithful with what you have rather than be concerned about what you don't have. And so if you've got something to give, giving to the work of God, if you've got people in your life that you can uh, give some time to, uh, maybe there's some people in your church, Donald, uh, who are are getting old or maybe they're sick and they can't mow their lawns, uh, you can do that for them. Uh, There's a lot of different ways to give that don't involve giving money. And if God can entrust you with giving little things, then he will entrust you later, Donald, with giving bigger things. It's interesting, Donald, I've had a bunch of people over the years now come up to me and say, I have the gift of giving. And I I never quite know how to respond. You know, uh, I had a friend who said one time, he said, well, you ought to say, you know, I know the Lord told me somebody was going to give me a million dollars today. But I've had a lot of people tell me they have the gift of giving, um, and most of them never gave anything at all. I don't know what their motive was. I don't know what they were trying to accomplish. But but the reality is they weren't giving people. They weren't generous people. So if you want the gift of giving, be generous with what you've got. Be willing to share. Give to the Lord's work. Share your time. Share your, your energy, your strength. And the Lord will bless it, Donald. Just make sure your motive. Why do you want the gift of giving? Is it because you think you'll be rich? That's probably not a good reason. Or is it just because you want to help people? Now, Donald, I'm going to make this personal for me, okay? Uh, One of the reasons I think that I don't have a lot of money is because I'd give it all away. Honestly, I don't. I, I, I can't stand seeing people in need. And and I would I wouldn't want to draw attention to myself, but I just give it away. And I think sometimes um, I would certainly be getting in God's way in the work that He's doing in certain people. Uh, but the gift of giving is a great gift. Uh, let the Lord know what your heart is about it, um, and uh, be faithful with what you've got. Give generously and hilariously, according to First Corinthians. And as you give, uh, the Lord will will note your faithfulness. And he will provide more stuff for you to give. I hope that makes sense to you. Sometimes we are more interested in math than we are in obedience. Uh, Just give what God has given you. Give him the first fruit of everything that you have, Donald. And uh, then just wait for him to bless you. Because he will. Here's an anonymous statement. It's not a question. 
Um, he or she says, I think most pastors are too focused on end times and not focused enough on the world as it is now. You know, Anonymous, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Jesus said that we're to be concerned about the end times. Uh, he said a wicked and lazy servant um, says his master delays his coming. And from cover to cover, we're, we're told to focus on heaven and not on the things of this world. And focusing on heaven is accomplishing Jesus' will in his model for prayer. He said that we are to pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is a prayer specifically for the return of Jesus. Very important we understand that. There's nothing better, Anonymous, that could happen to you or to me today than Jesus coming for his church. Jesus is coming soon. And we need to be aware of that. And because of the urgency of the hour, then we need to be about the Lord's business. Now, that touches on the second part of your statement. You think we ought to be more focused on the world as it is now. If you really are focused on the return of Jesus, then your focus regarding the world as it is now will change and you will become a prolific evangelist. We need to tell people about Jesus. And that's really the only thing that matters in this world. You know, we can help people with money. We can help people with social causes. We can do, But the world is still lost and getting worse every minute of every day. And so our answer for that is the people need Jesus. And those people now who are focused on the problems in this world, you know, social justice type issues, um, the real problem is they don't understand that there's only one answer, and that's saving people one person at a time. You know, one of the things, and I think this is uniquely American, um, we, we we get discouraged and we, we have a tendency to do nothing uh, if, in fact, um, um, all the problems out there are, are overwhelming uh, and it just seems like it's too big for us and uh, it seems like we're hopeless and helpless. Um, I think that's when we need to understand that the more narrow our focus needs to become, telling people about Jesus. By the way, tonight I'm doing a Bible study. They're starting a new book, uh, Haggai. And as we are studying Haggai, I think it's meeting Calvary Chapel of San Antonio right where we are. But I think it's important for all of us. Uh, we need to focus on the work that God has called us to. He said the, the, the field is ripe uh, for harvest. Uh, Jesus was using an illustration. Uh, but the world that we live in is ripe for harvest. And if we focus on issues, if we focus on problems, one of the things that, uh, having just come back from almost two weeks, 12 days actually in California, um, the homeless situation is overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. It's heartbreaking, but at the same time, um, life has changed for people in Southern California uh, because the homeless people are everywhere. They're interrupting the normal flow of life. Their 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 presence is is causing pain and difficulty for people who are doing what we're supposed to do, working hard and and paying our bills and and, and trying to get ahead in life. Uh, and as you look at that, and you just think, you know, nothing can change that. Right now, it's a problem that is unsolvable. So our focus, Anonymous, needs to be on the people for whom Jesus died. He died for all of them. He loves them. And we have the answer, the only answer, where we can tell people with confidence that Jesus will be with you in your problems. Jesus will make your problems manageable. As long as you surrender to him, repent, confess your sins, and accept Jesus Christ. And, and you see, we could solve that problem one person at a time. But the big problems out there uh, can't be solved. And I think the way we are motivated and energized to do that is by focusing on the return of the Lord. I had somebody ask me while we were in California, uh, somebody asked me, well, well, people have been saying Jesus is coming for 2,000 years and he hasn't come. Well, they were saying that in the first century church. That's why Peter had to address it in his epistle. Um, God is being patient, unwilling that any should perish, and he has his church 
now as his primary weapon to go out and win those people to Jesus Christ. And if you're not thinking about the return of the Lord, then I'd question your heart. You see the pain and the hopelessness. And the only thing that you can do as you look at these people is hurt. And Jesus alone has the answer. So anonymous, at least for me, that makes me focus even more on the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Soon, by the way, doesn't mean soon in time. It means suddenly, without warning. And the fact is that could happen today. Probably won't, but that could happen today. And that's why we need to focus. Paul talks about our focus on Jesus' return. Jesus talks about uh, looking at the signs and times of the end. Uh, We ought to take their counsel. At least that's what I believe the Bible teaches. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Gary. Um, He says, I know the right things to do to keep my walk with Jesus strong and focused. My problem is that I just do other stuff instead, and my life is a mess. Can you help? Gary, uh, I'm going to say a word. It's it's a bad word for for people in this world, um, people who are struggling like you are. Discipline. We have to discipline ourselves. It's time to grow up. If you know the right things to do and don't do them, that's simply benign neglect. It's like you're saying, well, I know what I need to do, but my life is a mess, and so I'm going to let it get even messier because I'm not going to do the things I need to do. You know, we need to get up. We need to spend time with the Lord. We need to be in the Word. I said repeatedly on this program, Gary, that anybody who is not a committed student of God's Word, I'm not talking about just a casual uh, reader or or a devotional reader of the Bible. I'm talking about somebody who is committed to studying, to rightly dividing the Word of God in these last days. Unless you are that man or that woman who's really committed to the Word of God, then the world that we live in is going to overcome you. You are going to be convinced by the propaganda of this world, by the pressure that people will put on you. Um, You're going to be convinced by an enemy who's screaming in your ear and you're not even aware of it. Um, And you're going to fall away. So how much longer do you want to continue this insanity? You just do other stuff instead and my life is a mess. That is about as, and Gary, I don't mean this personal because I don't know you. Uh, but but that's that's a childish approach to the way we live our lives. We've got to get up. We've got to do the things that we know we're supposed to do. Now, Gary, I assume you have a job. If you have a job, you probably get up and go to work. And the reason you do that is because you need a paycheck. And if you don't do it, you get fired and thus your paycheck would end. Well, the things that Jesus is asking you to do, instead of the things that you do, those are even more important. Even more important, Gary. So it's just something that you've got to decide. I'm going to do what I need to do. And then it's just a matter of discipline. If you would make this cry the Holy Spirit, Lord, my life is a mess. I know what's wrong. I know I've been spiritually lazy. I need help. And then surrender. And then you partner with the Lord. You take those steps of obedience. And Acts 5.32 says obedience is sort of the the fuel for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then you're going to find that Jesus is the one doing these these works instead of you having to do them. One of the comments, Gary, about this, and I think this is important for us. You know, once you make the commitment to discipline yourself to get in the Word, you're going to find out it's the most interesting thing. Uh, the most beneficial and helpful thing that you've ever done. Your eyes will be opened. uh, Decisions will be made clear. uh, But but you've got to discipline yourself to do it. And pretty soon what you get up now feeling, well, I know I have to do this. But instead, you'll get up and you'll say, I can't wait to do it. And I promise you that will be the case. Thank you, Gary. 340-9585 
340-9585. Here's a question from Nacho from our our mobile app. Uh, Is there any real significance to us born-again Christians of the Stephen Furtick's decision to have the Elevation Church leave the SBC? That's the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, The size of church and ministry manages could intrude on other organizations or group that might impact us. Um, I I don't think there's any significance. You know, I I don't think anybody uh, at Stephen Furtick's church, that's Elevation Church, I think it's in North Carolina, Um, Elevation Church, um, uh, I don't think anybody there knew that they were part of the SBC in the first place. Um, they certainly are not in line with with uh, Southern Baptist uh, uh, policies. Um, Stephen Furtick's wife preaches at the church, and and right now the SBC is losing people who are are now caving in to the naming women uh, pastors. Uh, and and uh, so I don't think there's any real significance to us at all. I think uh, that will probably cost the SBC a little bit of money. Um, I don't think it will have any impact at all on his church or Elevation Church. Let me also say that um, Stephen Furtick's personal doctrine is so bad that um, that also is not in line with uh, Southern Baptist Convention doctrine, uh, doctrinal positions. And um, uh, I, I'm surprised that the SBC didn't ask him to leave a long time ago. So, uh, no, I don't think there's any real significance. Here, I think, is something that is significant, though, Nacho. Um, I think there are um, a lot of people making decisions now about whether or not they're going to move forward with sound doctrine or they're going to do whatever feels good or whatever seems to produce results. And I think that could have an effect on us. I, I, my heart breaks for the thousands of people. I think he has a weekly attendance of over 10,000 people. Uh, I read uh, in an article that uh, they took in 103 million dollars in offerings last year. And my heart hurts for the people that gave that money. My heart hurts for those people that are getting a a, 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 a performance. Um, we'd call it worship, but it's not really worship. And they're getting a, a pastor who's just telling them things that are going to make them feel good and, and getting them all fired up about things. So um, I think we're at a time where we're going to see uh, these denominations um, really come to difficult decisions uh, regarding uh, who's one of them and who isn't one of them. You know, Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree to do so? Um, uh, I know the SBC um, certainly isn't uh, approving of Stephen Furtick's uh, doctrine, the way he does church. Um, and, and it's clear that Stephen Furtick doesn't care what they do. So that's the best I can do on it. I, I would like to know Stephen Furtick just enough so that I could sit there and talk to him a little bit about um, why are you doing these things? How are you going to stand before the Lord when you fail to equip these people that you've been entrusted with uh, when you're teaching them things that aren't consistent with biblical doctrine? So that's the best I can do, Nacho, on that. Maybe one day I'll meet Stephen Furtick and we can talk. Um, But um, he's a big shot and I'm a little shot at this point. we got a couple minutes left in this half of the program. Um, Oh, here's an interesting question from Juan. This is Pastor Ron. What is your position on the authority of the Greek New Old Testament? Uh, Juan, the Septuagint is what you're talking about. I I think... It is um, eminently authoritative. Uh, I think it's one of the best manuscripts. Now, it is not an autoscript. It's a manuscript like the other manuscripts that our Bibles are taken from. Uh, but but I think it is one of our most reliable manuscripts uh, out there. Um, it's so reliable, in fact, that you'll see often Jews who are quoted uh, in our New Testaments are um, they're quoting Jewish scriptures, but they're quoting 
the Septuagint. The Septuagint, I think, and give me a, a, a couple of years leeway here, but I think the uh, the Greek Septuagint was published in about 189 B.C., and it became very quickly accepted and authoritative. Uh, and Jews, uh, it was probably uh, the, um, the the Bible, the Old Testament, that many uh, of the people that we read out in our Bibles carried along with them, uh, especially those that could could read Greek. Remember, it was a, a Greek empire that was the the, the culture, uh, and and so so I, one I'm I'm uh, it's very very solid. It's quoted, as I said, by uh, people who are uh, quoted in our Bible. So I think it's a, it's a really really solid manuscript, and can be trusted and ought to be counted on. By the way, we we really need to to know our Old Testaments. You know, the idea that we're New Testament Christians and that's really the only part that matters is to miss the point. Uh, as I said, tonight I'm going to be teaching uh, Haggai chapter 1. Um, and it just came alive for me. And um, you're missing out if you're not feeding uh, on the Word of God, both Old and New Testaments. Hey, we've got through our first hour of the program. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and I will be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. I made my first mistake. My producer said, I said, we've done with the first hour of the program, the first half hour of the program. Um, that's, it'll take me a couple of days to get back in the flow. I'm going to make Paula do all the talking tomorrow uh, just so I can... Um, sort of get adjusted a little bit. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-5757. Here's a question from Gilbert. Uh, He says, how can I forgive myself for the terrible things I've done? I know God has forgiven me, but, and he leaves the but with a dot, dot, dot. You know, Gilbert, one of the things, uh, and, and again, please don't take this personally. But but the, the person who says to me, and I get this a lot, um, I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself for the things I've done. That is one of the most arrogant things that anybody can say. That is based in pride. That's based in a sense that, well, well, I should be better than that when in our flesh, in your flesh, Gilbert, is nothing good. If God has forgiven you, if he's thrown your sins in the deepest, darkest ocean, uh, there's no need for you to go swimming after them to, to, to dredge them up again. Uh, your sin is as far from you as east is from west because of the blood of Jesus. Now, it's so important because God... God gave everything he had to make that possible. And this is nothing, but it's sort of a perverse version of pride. But this is just pride. And what you've got to do is you've got to make a decision. If God has forgiven me, I'm either forgiven or I'm not. And if I'm wallowing away in my sin, uh, sin that God has covered with his blood, things that I've done in my past, then I'm no longer being fruitful nor productive. For the kingdom of God. Gilbert, in my own life, um, I think we all struggle with this this perverse pride. In my own life, this was one of the, the, the major points in me walking with the Lord. I got saved. My, my transition was uh, pretty radical. Um, um, but but the, the enemy was pounding me with guilt, and I had done so many horrible, horrible things that I was overcome with guilt. And one day, now I'd read Romans several times already as a, as a pretty new Christian. 
I'm probably six to eight months old in the Lord uh, at the time that I'm talking about right now. I get to Romans chapter 3, verse 24. And as I was reading it, when I say the word is living and active, this is what it means. As I got close, reading chapter 3, just reading it, wasn't studying it, I didn't have a computer, just studying it. Um, I, 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 it was almost like the Lord was poking me. Uh, it's coming up, it's coming up, it's coming up. And I didn't know what that meant, but, but he just sort of had me unawares. And I got to Romans 3.24, and it says, We have been, or, or I'm going to personalize it, I have been justified freely. Well, when did that happen? That was the question the Holy Spirit brought to my mind. If I'd been justified freely, when did that happen? And my, my answer to the prompting of the Holy Spirit was, well, it happened on the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And then the Holy Spirit absolutely busted me apart. He said, if it happened 2,000 years ago, if you were justified, just as if you'd never sinned, and that's the easiest way to remember what justified means, if that happened 2,000 years ago, why am I still drowning in guilt over sins that God has already forgiven? Now, regret is different than guilt. Oh, I still regret, Gilbert, some of the things I've done. But that makes me even more grateful to God because he's taken all of those things and they are now as far from me as east is from west. I always think of the, the books that will be opened in heaven and the, and the book of life, the book of my life, has all these horrible, horrible things done that, that, that were entered into that book, things that I'm guilty of. And yet every single one of those pages is covered with bloodstains. And the bloodstains are so thick that nobody can read the charges against me. And there are times when I felt like the woman caught in the act of adultery, where are your accusers now? And, and her response was, well, I don't know. There's nobody here to accuse me. And Jesus said, neither then do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. So that's all you have to do, Gilbert. As long as you refuse to forgive yourself, as long as you wallow in that guilt, the enemy is going to play you like a punching bag. And he's never, ever going to give up. So accept the gift. Believe the word. Combine what it says with faith in the one who wrote it. And what you're going to find out is that freedom will then be yours. Until you are free from this burden that you're carrying, a burden that God never intended for you to carry. That's why he died. Until you're free from that burden, Gilbert, your walk with the Lord is going to be difficult. It's going to be unproductive. And um, truth is that the only one that can give second chances is God. And our do-over, we can't go undo what's already been done, but our do-over begins the moment that we surrender to Jesus Christ. I hope that makes sense to you. Gilbert's very important. Here's a question from Frank. He said, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to physically see the Father and the Holy Spirit like we will see Jesus. You know, Frank, yes, um, but, but, but they'll be in different forms. Uh, Jesus said um, the Father is spirit. So he doesn't have a physical body the way Jesus did. And, of course, the Holy Spirit, by definition, is spirit. So he, too, doesn't have a body like Jesus did. So, yes, we will see the Father and we'll see the Holy Spirit, but they will be in a different form than we see Jesus. I upset somebody one day when I said, you know, we have this picture of crawling up on our Abba's lap and putting our arms around him and our head on his chest. You know, John, the disciple, the, the, the disciple, um, he, he named himself this, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was often seen with his head reclining against Jesus' breast. I, I love that because, you know, he, he's the only man that's ever heard the physical heartbeat of God. Uh, and, and I said, but we won't be able to do that with the Father in heaven because the Father is spirit. We could sit on Jesus' lap. He has a lap, but the Father doesn't. And it really bums somebody out. And they said, well, I can't believe that I won't be able to sit on his lap. Believe me, Frank, the intimacy that we will have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. So for sure, we'll see them physically. 
We will interact with them physically. Uh, we will communicate with them in a way that will will we will know uh, the height and width and depth and breadth of 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 the Father and the Holy Spirit's love. But with Jesus, of course, we we can look at the scars in His hands and the scar in His side and a face that was beaten beyond human recognition, we'll be able to see the physical demonstration of his love. What form that will take with the Father who is spirit and the Holy Spirit who is spirit, uh, we don't know, but but it will be glorious. It will be uh, beautifully consistent um, beyond anything that we can possibly imagine. So, uh, yes, we will be able to physically see the Father and the Holy Spirit. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Phones have been quiet. I thought on the first day back there would be some some phone calls. Lee said, uh, "My wife and I recently left a church that some call a cult. We are really struggling with leaving friends behind and adapting to a new." more orthodox church do you have any suggestions um lee first let me let me just share i've I've great sympathy um i have dealt with this with people in our church over the years uh, on on uh, multiple occasions um probably a dozen or so um and you know when you leave a church and uh, your friends will no longer talk to you because they've been ordered by the church not to because you're an infidel or or or, or worse. Um, it's really, really a struggle. But here's, I think, the way that you can adjust more quickly. You need to understand that you leaving that church was a gift from God, the real God. It was a gift. He loves you. He brought you out of darkness, and he did so because obviously your heart was seeking. Jesus said uh, he rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek him. Uh, All who come to me, he will in no wise cast out. Um, Says uh, Paul writing the Philippians, he's the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith. And so as you were looking for God, you recognized that something wasn't right. And as you start looking for God, his arms are open wide to you, and he brought you into a place where you could deal with the truth. And the truth is better than a lie. And if you have to leave people behind in order to benefit from the truth, that's a good trade. Not a painless trade, but it is a good trade. And so here's what you do. You just respond in gratitude to God. God, you loved me so much that you took me out of this dangerous place. You took me away from a place where you were being misrepresented and you brought me to a more orthodox place, a place where they're really going to show me who you are. And Lee, it will be the best thing that happens. Uh, One family was uh, in our church uh, years past, um, had been in in a cult for about 10 years. And uh, the the husband and the wife were were like night and day. The husband was got the truth. He lit up and just was great. The wife really struggled. She knew that people were talking about her, uh, about her. She knew that her friends had blackballed her. Um, she knew that uh, people were saying that she was going to go to hell because she left the one true church, and it was really difficult. And uh, my counsel to them at the time was unlearn everything, unlearn everything um, that they taught you. Open your Bible and approach it like a brand new believer and that will be a gift to you. We have Justine on line one from San Antonio. Justine, you're on the air. Thank you for calling. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I actually just wanted to put in a question. I I didn't know I was going to be talking to you, but since I'm here, hi. Hi. <laughs> uh, my question was about, I often feel closer to Jesus than I do God. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel a stronger connection with Jesus. And I know that I've been taught that, you know, they all embody in one, um, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. Um, I just don't, I don't know if there's a reason, if it's because, you know, Jesus was here on earth and, you know, that's, it's relevant and, you know, that's why I feel this and there's a reason for it or if it's something that I need to seek and, you know, 
I start to put a closer relationship with him? Or? Yeah, Justine, this is really important. It's a great question that you asked because this is exactly the way it's supposed to be. You know, the reason Jesus was sent by his father was to reveal the person, the character, and the holiness of God the Father. And the only way he could do that was by making his son become one of us so that we could relate to him. You know, it'd be like, it'd be like a billionaire telling you, hey, money's no problem. You couldn't relate to that. But, but if a billionaire gave away all his money and came and taught you how to make money, then you, you could relate to him in a way that you couldn't relate to him before when he was in a position that was, oh, well, Jesus left everything in heaven to reveal the person of the Father. Now, he also left us, Jesus did, with the person of the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And he did that so that we would feel loved, and, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus' gift to us. And the Holy Spirit's job is to to point to Jesus. Now, I put it that way because it's like bookends. If the Father sent Jesus so that we could know who he was, if the Father sent Jesus so that we could relate to him, and if the Holy Spirit now on this end of the cross, if the Holy Spirit is always reminding us about Jesus, then yes, that's the way it's designed by God because it's just about Jesus. Now, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But Jesus is a human who is also God. And because he is, then we understand who he is better. We can relate to him with more intimacy. And that's the reason he became a man. Hebrews uh, chapters 4 and 5, especially chapter 5, um, um, Paul writes to the Hebrews that we don't have a, a, um, a high priest with no weaknesses. He's a, he's a man subject to weakness just like we are. And, and so Jesus gets you. He understands you when you are in pain, when you worry, when you're fearful, um, uh, when you're, you know, your faith fails a moment or two. Um, Jesus understands that. Jesus would say um, uh, to his father, uh, why have you forsaken me? And there's times when we feel that. So Jesus gets you so that you can get him and then he brings you closer to the father. And what I think will happen as you focus on Jesus, Justine, is that you will be more and more grateful to the father than you ever were. And then you will seek the power of the Holy Spirit more than you ever have because the power of the Holy Spirit is the only way that we can become more like Jesus. But that's exactly the way it's supposed to be. You know, Justine, when I get up in the morning, I start every day with this. um, Good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And the reason I do that, I want to acknowledge all three persons of the Godhead. But the rest of my day, is spent hanging out with Jesus. And that's so important because it's Jesus who sets the example. It's Jesus who lived an example for us to follow. And that's why Jesus is the one that you ought to be focused on. So don't feel like you're you're leaving the other two out. One of the things that's great about the Trinity is there's perfect unity, perfect harmony. It's not like the Father is saying, hey, Justine's spending too much time with Jesus and not enough time with me or the Holy Spirit doing the same thing. It's not that at all. When you're hanging out with Jesus, then you're with the Father and you're with the Spirit and you can be overwhelmed by their goodness. And and the result of that will be a really, truly grateful heart. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I just I, I, I had a feeling it was for a reason and that, you know, I was able to relate to Jesus, like you said. And, you know, that was the purpose of God, you know, placing yep. him on, on the earth for us. Um, I just didn't know if that was something that I should feel guilty about or not. But nope. you've answered a lot for me. Not at all, Justine. Thank you very, very much. You know, uh, I said to an earlier question that, that God the Father is a spirit. Jesus said that. Um, um, he lives in unapproachable light. The Father lives in unapproachable light. Well, Jesus is the one that allows us to approach that unapproachable light. And, you know, we can't relate to a spirit because we have no capacity to understand um, what his essence is. Now, we know his character. Jesus demonstrated that to us. We know his holiness. 
We know his power. We know all those things. We've got all of that in our Bibles. But we can't relate. When I was a brand new believer, and I was like Justine, feeling a little guilty because I'm, I'm spending all my time with Jesus. What about the Father? I, I actually had this, and this is silly, but I had this um, image of, of, of this green mist that covered everything, very comforting, very warm, but that image of the green mist, and that's how I imagined the Father. But I couldn't wrap my arms around a green mist. I couldn't really understand the nature or comprehend the love of a green mist. And I, why green mist, I don't know, but that's just the way I was as a brand new believer. And uh, I found very quickly that the more I focused on Jesus, uh, our church motto here is just be with Jesus. The more I focused on Jesus, um, the closer to the Father and to the Holy Spirit I was. Thank you, Justine. I appreciate that very, very much. Here is a question from April. Um, she says, I want Jesus to show himself to me like he did to Paul or others. Why won't he do it? Um, I know you're not the same April, but I just had a phone call from a man today who was praying for his wife who's about to undergo surgery in uh, in Georgia. Uh, his wife's name is April, and, and so I, I'm praying for an April now. So this April... Um, wanting Jesus to show himself to you. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Um, I, I still, not every night like I used to, but I still frequently say, Lord, why don't you take me to heaven tonight? Not, not, I, not to die. I'm not looking to die. But take me to heaven like you did Paul, Second Corinthians chapter 12. Take me, just so I, if you need to correct me, give me direction, just take me to heaven. I want to see you. Um, I've never been to heaven, April. So he hasn't done that. Um, but but Jesus, I think for you and for me, he would say, how can I show you myself with any more power or intimacy than I already have? I died for you on the cross. I took their abuse. And when they killed me and put me in the tomb, I didn't stay dead. I did that just for you. So learn to be content with that. Um, you know, the people in the, in the, in the New Testament, um, oftentimes in the Old Testament as well, um, it was the only way that he could intervene in human world. But, but for us, he doesn't have to show himself because he already has. So check your motive, April. Why do you want him to show himself to you? Is it because you have doubts or questions? Is it because you're afraid? Because maybe your prayers aren't being answered? Check your motives. Really dig into the Word of God. And I promise you, he will show himself to you. He just won't do it physically. He won't do it in, in, in a vision uh, or in a dream. Um, God's working in very practical ways these days. So if you want Jesus to show himself to you, Get into his word, and then after you've read the word, take a walk or find a room and just sit down and pray and talk to him. And the Holy Spirit will give you direction. The Holy Spirit will give you power. And the Holy Spirit will give you uh, whatever it is that, that you need to fulfill yourself. But I think part of it, April, is, is as we mature, we shouldn't need the miraculous as we mature, we should trust Jesus. That's what faith is really all about. We don't have time for any more calls, so let me get this call. This was an anonymous, and everybody's going to say, oh, I agree, I, I understand exactly how this person feels. Uh, anonymous says, how do we honor government leaders that we find repulsive? Um, anonymous, we do it out of obedience. We do it by faith. And we do it because we pray for them. And as you pray for them, God will change your heart toward them. Now, if you find these repulsive government leaders impossible to pray for, uh, you're being disobedient. So it's real simple. You honor them by praying for them. You honor them by being obedient uh, as long as what they're asking you to do doesn't um, um, conflict with, with what God's Word says. But... Um, you know, the truth is those repulsive government leaders, 
need Jesus. They're unsaved. And Jesus loved them. He loved them for the joy set before him. He endured the agony of the cross. And because he loved them, he died for them. And because he loved them, we who belong to him need to be able to love them. Now, you don't have to like everybody that you love, but we are commanded to love other people. And here's the step that you need to take, Anonymous. When you are uh, praying for someone, um, God will change your heart. You may have to pray through clenched teeth uh, at the beginning, but I promise you, God will change your heart. And you'll start praying for those people on a daily basis. We are told in the Word to pray for them. Um, It's a matter of obedience. If we're not doing it just because we don't like them, that would be like uh, saying, I'm not going to pray for my next door neighbor because I don't like him. God says he loves them. I think we got to get his mindset, his heart set toward these people that we find difficult. And the reality is the government leaders that we're stuck with, um, there's a tendency to think that, that in the Old Testament, God gave uh, his people the leaders they deserved. I think we're getting the leaders we deserve now. So when you have a repulsive government leader, you simply say, please forgive me, O Lord. I'm a sinner, just like this person is a sinner. And I want to honor you by praying for them and ask God to love them. Romans 5.5 5 says, The love of God has been poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is have enough faith to make a love withdrawal and apply that to these repulsive government leaders. Hey, thanks for tuning in. First day back, not too bad. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Paula will be live in studio with me on the First Day Day Show. Since our return, we'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.